Okay, so last time we talked a little bit about Paul and who he was before his conversion, and I want to delve a little bit more into that. So if you could turn to Philippians chapter 3. And Philippians 3, verse 3, I'll go ahead and read. This is kind of out of context. It's not exactly... He's talking about something else, but I just want to get his description of himself in this in these verses. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I'm more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. So what what stands out to you in these verses that Paul is trying to tell you about himself? Does, it, does something just pop out to anybody here? Jews of Jews, best kind of Jews. Right. And so in these in these verses right here, I kind of got three things that I want to talk about what Saul was. And number one was he was actually um, a Pharisee, which is what it says in verse five. And when we think about Saul, we don't really think of him being a Pharisee because um, we usually just think of him being a Jew. But Pharisees, we think of the high, uh, the hierarchy, the upper rulers, the hypocrites, and stuff like that. But um, it says he was a Jew. He was circumcised, he was a Benjamite, and he said he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Um, another thing he said that he was, was he was a persecutor of the church. And uh, over in Acts 7 and 8, we're not going to read that right now, but um, Douglas read it the other day, and he consented to um, Stephen's death, and he said he made havoc in the church, and he was uh, dragging Christians into prisons. But I think probably the main thing that said, stood out for me right here was he said that he was uh, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, he was blameless. And so that's where we really see the differentiation from you know, normal Pharisees. As Pharisees were viewed as hypocrites and Jesus always was condemning them in the Gospels. But right here he said that he was blameless. Um, so basically in his mind, he was following the law to the complete extent. And um, I don't know exactly where it is. I forgot to write it down. But he says that um, in his mind, he had a clear conscience. And everything he was doing, he lived in good conscience to God. I think he said that to the council in Jerusalem in Acts. But I'm not sure what that's down. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, he said uh, he lived in all good conscience before God and to this day. So I really think that's what makes Paul stand out from everybody else. It's like he thought his actions were true and his actions were right. So can somebody read verse 15 and 17? 15 through 17 in Galatians 1. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. So, one question I have is, why why do you think God chose to reveal his grace to Paul? Like he says in verse um, 
15, he says, God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace. So we know that God's grace touches everybody, but why do you think he specifically called out Paul? Or I guess that's when he was Saul. Does anybody have any opinions on that? I think it had to do with him being a Hebrew of Hebrews and being so high up because because of that he was so easily able to teach the Jews about the Christ and how that all worked. Right. I think Saul was just seeking truth really hard, and that's why he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, is because he saw the truth of the Old Testament, he was super zealous about that, and so since that was his main component in life, is that he was seeking truth and seeking to please God, then God was able to use that in the New Covenant as much as Paul was trying to use it in the Old Covenant. Right. Good answer. Uh, I don't think I have any way to necessarily confirm this scripturally, but I also believe that Paul being added to the church after being a huge persecutor of the church was an important lesson for the Christians at the time to learn that someone's past actions does not determine whether or not they can be saved. He was like public enemy number one of the Christians, and he soon became their greatest asset. Right. You still want me to say later, but you may have stronger. I suppose if you look at it from this point of view, at least in the beginning, I'm sure Paul had a lot of connections with Jews, people in high places he could have talked to. We know that on the road to Damascus, he went He went to get a letter of permission to go and persecute the Christians there. I suppose God could have used him for that reason. Hey, you've got this letter of permission. Follow me and go teach the Lord instead of persecuting my people. Something like that. Right. Anybody else? Um, pretty much what I thought was basically a combination of what everyone said here. Um, I said... Probably the reason God chose to do this was because of his sincere heart and conscience. Um, he decided to directly reveal Jesus you know, to uh, Saul. And I think he also, because of his discipline in the law, he saw how that could be used in the new law. And um, he also saw Paul's discipline because Paul is probably one of the most disciplined people. And last lesson, we also talked about how in 2 Corinthians, he talks about all the things that he went through and all the trials he's overcome. And so I really think that um, God just decided to that he needed to be on something else. And because he was so pure about it, and he honestly thought the persecutions were right, um, you know, blasphemy is worthy of death under the old law. And he honestly thought blasphemy was being was actually taking place. So I think because of all those, that's why God decided to use him. Uh, another question I have is, why do you think God chose to, chose Paul to preach to the Gentiles, um, even though he was a Pharisee in the past? It's not like he was a Greek. It's not like he had background necessarily dealing with um, Gentiles. I think Paul had a huge transformation. You know, going from the old law of Christianity. So the Gentiles are going to have a huge transformation too. They're going from the life of sin to Christianity. So I mean, I think the two are kind of, kind of parallel a little bit. So I think Paul's doing good. Also, be really humbling too. Yeah, for Paul, the Jewish society had a very sort of high and mighty view of themselves when it came to Gentiles. And taking Paul, who was a Jew of Jew, and having him go, you know, teach Gentiles, that could have been a very humbling experience for him as well. Right, a good teaching opportunity. I don't know if this is what you're going for, but all the Roman citizens who made the other the Romans that he was trying to convert were respectable, but of course, Israel, they're out of the kingdom. 
that chapter over, uh, he tells them that the Holy Spirit is going to come to them, to them the apostles. Uh, and he's going to remind them of the things that he's spoken so you can see the word spoken from the Father to the Son, to the Holy Spirit who delivers it to the apostles. And so this is a gospel directly from God that assures anything else we have in the New Testament. That's maybe important to bear in mind. Right. And I like that you, you know, brought out, even in the gospel, Jesus is telling them that he's going to bring his spirit, he's going to bring it to the apostles, and then they're going to have, you know, inspiration from God. So you can't just say, you can't just um, disregard all these epistles right here and say they're not from the spirit. When you see that Jesus clearly said that he was going to send it down to them. So, appreciate that. Anybody else? down the Pharisees too much. Um, I think if we were to, if you were to ask a Pharisee, you could have one here in the room, we can say, write down the things that you believe in, you know, the way you would interpret the scripture. I suspect that we would find that we agree with a large part of the way they believed and interpreted scripture. Now, the way they did it in practice, maybe not so much, but on paper, what, what they believed in looked very good, and I think that's a large part, and you kind of going back to what you're talking about, why Paul was chosen. Uh, the Pharisees believed in a very strict interpretation of Scripture. Uh, they believed in doing things by the letter, and that's not a bad thing. Uh, and, you know, that's what Jesus says when he talks about the way they were applying the Scripture. They would, uh, they were strict uh, down to tithing and and human and spices and things like that. And he didn't condemn them for that. He says, now you're missing these big things over here. You need to go back and kind of back up a little bit. But what you're doing here in the details, that's not wrong. You keep doing that. Uh, and so I say that to say that maybe, uh, and you kind of touched on it, maybe part of uh, the reason Paul was chosen was what he was doing before he was a convert of the Roman masters was not easy. Uh, being a Jew and following the, the law to the letter like you're talking about was a very, very difficult thing to do. And uh, so, kind of like you said, he had a... good point and I didn't really mention it but Will kind of he touched on it well that um, his discipline before you know he was converted and on the road to Damascus it was extremely high then because the law was not an easy task um, and so that, that's a really good point <coughs> anybody else alright verse uh, I'll, I'll read this starting verse 21 Afterwards, I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea which were in Christ. But they were hearing only, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. And so I didn't read that next verse for a reason, because when I, you know, when I originally read that, they were saying, this guy used to persecute us, physically persecute us, drag us into prison and kill us. He's now preaching the faith that he tried to destroy. And honestly, if you don't read the next verse, you're not really sure what the Galatians' reaction is going to be. I had already read it, so I already knew, so I kind of cheated. <laughs> but if you just read that verse, you're not sure what's going to happen. And it's really encouraging to read 24 and see, and they glorified God to me. Because 
that verse could have said multiple things. It, it could have gone to why they weren't believing his gospel. Um, you know, if we have somebody that's uh, verbally putting us Christians down and not believing the faith, and then, you know, they do actually get converted, it, I think we would be prone to be a little skeptical of them. But this was a man who believed in his faith so much that he would, would be willing to kill Christians. And then he decides he's going to convert over to that. And it seems a little odd just thinking about it. But since we have Paul's story in the Bible, it makes more sense to us. But for people that just hear it through secondhand stories, I can understand how it would be more difficult. But it is really encouraging to see that they glorified God because of his past life. <clears throat> Anybody have comments on that? How humble Paul had to be to do that. You know what I mean? To go from persecuting the church so hard to swap into it and admitting I was wrong. I hate being wrong. I mean, y'all know that, but um, I mean, just to humble yourself and go the complete opposite direction is just I think it's a great, great thing for us to try to follow. Yeah, you. I mean, you'd have to swallow all your pride. I mean, yeah. I mean you're starting from you know the bottom right there, and so. Are you done talking about verse twenty-four? Am I done talking about that? <laughs> Sure. Okay. So David and anybody, two questions really on that idea, and they glorified God of me. Just for, as far as application goes, how do we live where people glorify God and me or, you know, each individual one of us? And then second part of that, how do I live that I glorify God through you? So how, how do those work? You can answer anybody can. I don't want to put you too much on the spot. Again. <laughs> All right, so we have the one phrase of verse 24, they glorify God in me. And so if we put ourselves as the me in that sentence, how do people glorify God in me? And then now put yourself into the they in that sentence. How do you glorify God in others? How do those work in application in our lives? Well, my verse says, and they glorify God because of me. Okay. So how do you glorify God because of other people? I guess because when he was preaching the truth, they ended up glorifying God because they heard it from him. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Jesus had a reaction. I think it depends on what your definition of glorify God is. Because if it's being thankful, you can be thankful that someone else is doing the right thing and worshiping God and striving to follow him. I think it also has to do with the reflection that you're giving off, what you're doing in your actions and the connotations of what you're involved with. In this instance, Paul has now involved himself in the church in doing right, and people are seeing that and noticing that. And mine also has, they glorified God because of me. And so I think that can be interpreted in that they're glorifying God because now Paul is doing the right thing, or they're glorifying God because they're all doing the right thing together with Paul. It's, it's more glory to God. We know that moods and attitudes are contagious and if somebody's happy then and they're expressing that then people in the room are going to be happy if somebody's being Debbie Downer then everybody's going to be sad and upset that's just how it works and in the same way if somebody's glorifying God it's more likely that the people around them are going to be glorifying God but if he's not if he's uh not glorifying God, living a sinful life, then more than likely the people around him are going to follow like that. Uh, I think it could just be that 
they're giving credit to God for a false conversion. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're saying they're glorifying God by saying, well, if God can convert Paul or Saul, who was you know, the worst among us, then God can do anything. Yeah, that idea, the one that Colonel Ariel and Charles Chuck mentioned, uh, I, I think that that's, that's a lot of the idea. Because like going back to the beginning of the chapter, when Paul kind of goes into his little praise section in verses 3 through 5, it's all about how grateful and how praising he is towards God because they have been set free from their sins. And over like the beginnings of Philippians, he does this a lot at the start of his books. He says, I thank God upon every remembrance of you. And I mean, they hadn't even met Paul, and they were glorifying God because of him, because they were thankful that someone was saved through God's works. And I think that's the same thing that Paul is doing there. And so I, I think that I think that's the idea that our, his salvation was evident enough that they were giving thanks to God because of them praising him. Yeah, I was gonna say, you know, one of the ways they probably glorified him is they just continually thanked him for not only showing grace to Paul for Paul's sake, but also for their sake to see, you know, that they brought such an amazing guy over uh, to Christianity and helped them out and use a great example of what, how you can change your life around like that. And if I can go in a soapbox just for a moment, I, I think that's a, that's a powerful example for us, specifically at the beginning of Philippians where he says, I thank God upon every remembrance of you. Um, I, I think that needs to be our attitude towards all of our brethren like they have for each other here. And when we see people, and they're, they're probably, you know, I'm not as talented as Paul, and you won't be as talented as Paul. You won't have all this background and all these trials and those things. But it still needs to be that when we think about the salvation that was worked in the lives of each one of the people here, that we can't help but glorify God because of those people. And so then God is glorified in the lives of all of us by the lives of all of us. Sorry, that was a tangent, but you can. <laughs> So really I have uh, three applications from this, so I'm going to kind of wrap up. Uh, the first main one is uh, we need to ensure that the gospel we hear is you know, truly from God. And um, what, are, what are some ways we can do that? Uh, not just to the answer, you know, just read the Bible or whatever, but how can we uh, take what others say and truly know that it's from God? I mean, I know you can look at the Bible and see that, but I don't know if that makes sense. It's not emotion drawn. A lot of times, uh, in a religion these days, it's all about emotion. And I think uh, there definitely is a, a great deal of emotion that should go on in the church. But uh, emotions appeal towards excitement as far as uh, like music, um, stuff that gets us, you know, in a, in a certain a certain mood that's not generated towards our worship. I think that. Uh, if we see that in, in, in their teaching, that it, it, it can definitely you know prove that that's not something from, from God. Yeah, see it's not I think also, kind of double on that, when you go to study the Word of God, you know, you have to base it off like what you want it to be. If you're truly reading the Word of God for what it is, you know, you're not based off your emotions and what you want it to say. Yeah. Anyone else? And I don't know who else has heard the analogy. I don't think it was here where I heard it. But, uh, for instance, the FBI, like they're investigating counterfeit money. What they're going to be looking at is the original compared to the dollar bill that they have. They're not going to look at another fake one and say, is this a fake one? Because you can't tell. The only way to tell is to look at the original. And so there really is no other option than for the bad form to be the Bible. 
genuinely the truth. You can't compare it to what you believe necessarily because that could not be the original. It could be something that, you know, you learn one way or another. It's more of a tradition. And so the backbone of it always has to be the Bible, the original. A lot of people today want to make their own version of God and build God around what they think he should be and please him how they think he wants to be pleased. But if we don't turn to the Bible and look at who he truly is, I think a lot of our worship and psalms in the churches come from that. It's just we're not thinking about how God actually wants to be pleased in worship. It's all about what we think is worship. Right. And um, there's actually a professor here that me and Douglas know. He knows who I'm talking about. But um, he's a not a undevout Muslim, but he also believes the Bible is partially true. Um, the problem he has, though, is whenever you talk to him about faith and what is, what's right and what's wrong and what's actually truth, is all of his, um, all of his standards are based off his emotions. And... Um, Everything that he believes is right or wrong is based on his standard, you know, and it's been probably formed over the years through his parents and through society, some religious stuff. But <coughs> the problem with that is you don't have one concrete set of rules that somebody infinitely smarter than you has um, drawn up and called you to live by. And so I think the problem is with emotions is you know, we're just one drop in the ocean, honestly. I mean, there's eight billion people and there've been billions more before us. And so we need a standard that somebody so much greater than us, uh, a standard that we can live by, that's created from him. And so um, another, another thing is, um, I asked the question, how do we ensure that's truly from God? One, I think one problem that I struggle with and probably everybody, you know, struggled with is Whenever I read somebody's different opinion on the Bible, it's not um, their own opinion, it's their opinion on a certain chapter, a certain section of the Bible, is I tend to kind of brush it off kind of early, and I say, um, you know, that's not what I was taught. I know that what I know is right. I know it's somewhere in there that I'm right. But I don't necessarily, you know, look at their standpoint. And... Um, Abraham Lincoln has a quote. Uh, I'm going to butcher it. Um, it's basically, you know, if you want to, um, if anybody knows it, please tell me what it is. <laughs> it's if you want to uh, convince somebody something, you need to see their side of their argument and be able to talk about it better than they can. So we need to know what everybody else thinks and uh, how they interpret scriptures, and we need to be fully convinced that ours is right, not just from what we've learned, but we need to actually study it and you know, just because we go to a certain church, we don't need to necessarily adopt all their beliefs. Our beliefs need to be founded in God's word, not through any church's beliefs. So, uh, the second application I found was God's grace can truly reach anybody, and just like Paul, he he also sees the potentials in us. And um, I'm not sure everybody can have this. Well, everybody could, but not everybody has the uh, self-discipline that Paul has or had. And um, we need to strive to be like that. But I also don't want to be shy about talking about God's grace because I know that's one thing we kind of shy away from in our certain uh, beliefs. But it, it is really real. 
and you know he can see things in us that we can't see. We, he can use the, our abilities for his good. And I think we really need to acknowledge him for that and glorify him for that and ask him in prayer to um, help us with that too. Uh, and the last application I have is if we have, um, and in, this honestly isn't a situation that happens a lot, but if we have an enemy or somebody that seems you know, not as holy as us convert to God or repent from their sins, uh, we need to glorify God, and we don't really need to be jealous of them, because um, I think a lot of times it's, you know, I, none of us are this age, but I can see how down the road you have somebody that's lived their life in sin, and you know, they're greedy, maybe they had a bunch of money, they're doing things that what they wanted to do, but then they hit 50 or 60, and they change their life around, they live it for God. And as a Christian, you can say in your mind, you know, I've been devoted to God my entire life. Um, it seems kind of unfair that we get the same gift from God. But I think Paul is a pretty good example of why we don't need to be like that. And they might actually be stronger in faith than us because of their experiences. So, does anyone else have any comments or applications? I'm sure I missed a bunch, but. <clears throat> well, <clears throat> like you're just talking about, um, jealousy about someone who comes back and doesn't deserve it or whatever. Uh, Jesus gives us like the ultimate example of that is parable of the prodigal son, right? When the, um, the sinful son comes back, he's funded all his wealth, um, and uh, the father welcomes him back with open arms, but the, the other son, the, the faithful son, who was dead all time, was jealous, and, and the father's like, um, what are you doing being jealous when you should be joining in the celebration? That's an excellent example. Yes. You want a parable that correlates directly with what you're talking about? I can't remember the chapter it's in, but uh, when Jesus uh, is talking about the workers getting hired, and he tells them, put them one denarii, and the guys come, and some of them have been working all day, and others have just come out that afternoon, and they still got paid the same thing, and they thought, well, we've been here all day, why are you not going to pay us more? And he said, did you not agree? that you would work for one denarii. And right. so, although they worked for different amounts of times, they did what was required at the end of the day to receive the one denarii. <laughs> exactly. And honestly, anything that we do on this earth is not gonna be enough to earn our salvation anyways. So we don't really need to think that we've earned it more than somebody else, because none of us have earned it at all. So, any other comments before we close? Um, as far as determining where the gospel comes from, whether or not it's true the gospel, um, I don't think it's really what you're saying, but uh, yes, but you're studying with somebody of maybe a different belief than you have, it is definitely beneficial to look into that further and examine those things and say, well, it's probably right. So I need to reevaluate what I believe. That's, that's beneficial, certainly. That being said, I can't see
said, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll break the rule. You said, how do we know within besides just reading the Bible? Well, what it boils down to, I think, is you have to just read your Bible and not just doing kind of a precursory thing in Bible reading just to check something off your checklist of daily things to do, but really read into it and dig into that and examine your beliefs and, uh, and hold, hold those up against what the Bible says to say, does this fit with what I'm reading? Uh, what am I reading? What is it telling me to do? And it's, re reading is a short word that sounds simple, but if you're really doing it uh, uh, investigatively, I guess, uh, that's, that's really how you determine
come together in, in places like this, Lord, and just study you, your word, and learn everything that we can about you, Lord. I pray that tonight it's been beneficial.